Good morning. Life is full of stories. American pastor Jeff Vanderstelt says that we are story-formed people. That is, the lives that we live tell a story, but we're also formed and shaped by the stories that we tell ourselves. But you know, the reality is oftentimes the stories that we read and, and watch seem more fulfilling, more compelling, more exciting than the lives that we actually live. But we, we recognise, don't we, that these stories that we tell ourselves aren't entirely real. So, for example, I know with a fair degree of confidence that I'm never going to be the man to save the world from alien invasion. I know that I'm never going to be a Jedi Knight wielding a lightsaber. I know that I'm never going to be the one to hold the ring of power as much as I might like to. You see, friends, the Bible tells a grander story. It's a grander story than Independence Day. It's a grander story than Star Wars. It's a much grander story than Lord of the Rings. But there are two particular distinctives as well about the Bible story. Firstly, the Bible story claims to be true. And secondly, the story of my life finds its purpose and relevance in the story of the Bible. This is a story that I can actually step into and be part of and have confidence that is absolutely and utterly true. And friends, this morning we're going to be looking at a story in the Bible that's told by someone called Luke. Luke was a, a doctor, he was also a historian. And um, Luke's story really, you could describe it as a documentary, a documentary about the life of Jesus. And Luke did what any good historian would do. He uh, did his homework, he researched, he travelled far and wide across Israel. He interviewed people who met Jesus or spoke to Jesus or who were involved in some of the events surrounding the life of Jesus. And, and what Luke did is he, he collated that all and put it all together in a documentary. We now find that in our Bibles, the book of Luke or the Gospel of Luke. And at the beginning of Luke's documentary, we find a story about a couple, a couple called uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, this couple, they loved God and they lived to honour him. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were getting on in years and they hadn't at that point had any children, though they desperately wanted to have children. Now, here's the crazy bit in the story. This is the crazy bit of the documentary. We are told that God sends an angel called Gabriel to Zechariah. And Gabriel tells Zechariah that a son will be born to Elizabeth. Though they've tried and tried and tried, it's not happened yet. Gabriel says, a son will be born to you. And he says that this son will turn people back to God. He will be used powerfully by God for his glory. And Zechariah doesn't believe it. His response indicates that he does not believe the words of this angel. In response, Gabriel makes him mute, unable to speak for the entire pregnancy. So just imagine that, not being able to speak for a full nine months. Your wife is pregnant and you cannot say a thing. Nine months later, a son is born. A son is named John. And Zechariah's speech returns. And as his speech returns, he uses his speech to honour and glorify and praise God. Now, friends, that is a fantastic story. It's a joyous, delightful, miraculous story. 
This isn't the kind of, you know, everyday run-of-the-mill story, is it? This is not the kind of thing that you'd find featured in your local uh, newspaper or just a, a small feature on BBC Points West. This is a fantastic story. But do you know what? Luke, in his documentary, has a better story to tell us. You see, the fascinating thing is that Luke has done something that, that filmmakers occasionally do, that writers occasionally do, and he, he begins with this scene... So you've got the angel Gabriel talking to Zechariah. He cuts from that scene to an entirely different story and then cuts back to the first story nine months later when the son is born, when John is born. So he cuts from one story to another. And you see, I think what, what Luke is really wanting to do here is he's wanting to draw our attention in. Luke is essentially wanting to say there is a story within the story. You know, if he had access to neon lights, there'd be big flashing neon lights pointing inwards saying, look at this story. So as fantastic as that miraculous story about the birth of John is, there is an even bigger and better story slap bang in the middle. Now, friends, it's just like a, a, a pie, right? Now, um, when it comes to pie, um, okay, pastry is important. Good quality pastry is important. I do not doubt that. But the reality is when it comes to pie, we all come for the filling, don't we? We want to know what's inside. As we kind of uh, crunch through the pastry, there's a sense of anticipation that there is something even better on the inside. And I think that is what Luke has done for us here. So friends, let's get a fork, let's stick a fork in the pie, dive in and see what Luke has for us. Let's look at the story within the story. So we're going to read together. We're going to read uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through to 38. Luke says this. In the sixth month, that's the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. And the angel departed from her. Well, in that, that story within a story, we're given some bits of information, aren't we? We're told that the location is Nazareth in Galilee. 
we're told that the main characters are Mary and Joseph. And we're also given three further bits of information that, that firstly, Mary is a virgin. So Luke tells us that Mary is a virgin. Luke also tells us that Joseph is a descendant of David. And Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married. So that's some context. That's setting the scene for us. Let's hit play on the documentary footage. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, friends, we've, we've already seen Gabriel in the documentary, haven't we? We've already had an appearance of this angel sent from God. And based on what we've seen, based on what we've understood of Gabriel so far, we can almost imagine how this particular story is going to go. Some of you may be familiar with the figure of Jack Bauer of uh, 24 fame. And um, having watched all of the seasons of, of 24, um, I find it fascinating. Oftentimes you'll see a scene, and so for example, it might be uh, a heavily guarded building. Loads of guards, loads of big guns, all of that stuff. And Jack Bauer comes onto the scene. Jack Bauer enters that building. And having known his previous form, I'm absolutely, utterly convinced I know how this situation is going to go. I know what Jack is going to do. I have seen it all before. And there, friends, there is a tendency for us at this point to think, well, we've already seen Gabriel. We kind of know how this story is going to go. And yes, Gabriel does come to announce the birth of a son, but this particular story is unique. It's different. And as we work our way through the story, I would like for us to have three questions in mind, three questions whirring around in our minds. I'd like for us to be thinking, who who is this promised son? Who is the son to come? I'd like us to be thinking how. How is he coming? And I'd also like for us to be thinking why. Why is he coming? Well, let's think about the who together. Well, we're given some indication, aren't we, in the, in, the, in the documentary, in the story. Gabriel says that this son will sit on David's throne. Now, David was the greatest of the kings of Israel. David was like the, the, the gold standard. He was the benchmark. He was the man. Uh, David was the king who ruled during the golden age of Israel. The Bible describes how David led with skillful hands and integrity of heart. Under his reign, the, the nation experienced peace, prosperity, good governance and spiritual vitality. And for centuries, people had looked back to the time of David, the, the good old days of David, the glory days of David. But the people of Israel had also looked forward, you see, because throughout the Bible, the words of the prophets often pointed forward to the son of David, often pointed forward to one who would basically be David, but bigger and better. David's true heir. One who would rule perfectly, one who would rule with wisdom and righteousness and justice forever and ever and ever. So that was the expectation that the people of Israel were under. They were looking forward to this son of David to one day appear, this Messiah, this promised one. In fact, their entire hopes were pinned on the arrival of this coming king. 
They did not know when, but yet they, they, they pinned their hopes that this king would one day come and would one day make everything right. And the reality is, we all live with that expectation, don't we? We all, we all live with that hope that actually one day everything will be right. Everything will be as it is, as it should be even. Mary and Joseph were no different. They lived with the expectation, uh, the, the, the hope that one day this son of David would arise. They longed for his coming. What would have been a surprise to them were the words of Gabriel when Gabriel, Gabriel tells them that this son of David is coming soon and he will be born to you, Mary. That would have been a complete surprise, a complete shock. The son of David is coming. The one that you've hoped for is coming soon. And Mary, he is going to be born to you. So Gabriel tells us that this son will sit on David's throne. The perfect king is on his way. But Gabriel also says that he will be called the son of the Most High. And I wonder what, what's going on there. I wonder what Gabriel means by that. The son of the Most High. Well, friends, if let's just think for a few moments about Zechariah. Now, um, Zechariah was actually a priest. So he was someone who uh, ministered to God. He was someone who knew and understood his Bible well. And having understood his Bible well, Zechariah would have understood that when Gabriel came and Gabriel announced that actually miraculously his wife would conceive and give birth, Gabriel would have understood that actually, you know, this wouldn't be the first time this happened in the Bible. There were examples in the Bible of people who were uh, getting on in years, um, ageing, who hadn't had any children at that point. There were examples of God miraculously enabling barren people to give birth. And this, this was by no means an everyday, ordinary, everyday thing. God did not do this all the time, certainly not. But, but Zechariah would have understood that God had done this before. So when Gabriel came to him and, and announced this was going to happen, you would expect or hope that to, to, to some degree there would have been some faith within Zechariah, some understanding that God had done this before. Maybe he will do this for us. So that's Zechariah's situation. But you see, Mary's situation is different, isn't it? Mary's situation is unique. Mary, like us, understands that simply virgins do not give birth. Virgins do not have babies. Just put yourself for a few moments, put yourself into the, into the, uh, the shoes of Mary. An angel has been sent from God, has been sent to you. An angel announces to you that you are going to give birth but not only are you going to give birth, you are going to give birth to this promised king. How would you respond? What would be going through your mind? Well, certainly for me, I would have a few questions in mind. Even if I didn't articulate it immediately, I'd be wondering, how on earth is this going to happen? How will this be? Mary asked a question, doesn't she? 
She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And can I just say, this is an absolutely vital question. It's a vital question, and the answer impacts not only Mary's life, but I believe the answer impacts our lives as well. How will this be, Gabriel? Well, Gabriel says that the son to be born will be conceived supernaturally. Gabriel says that a virgin will give birth. Now, never in the history of the world had that ever, ever, ever happened. All of us, we all have biological origin in uh, a mother and a father. That is, that is all of us, but not this one. This one is different. This one is unique. This one is in a bracket all by himself. And you see, the unique nature of the, of, of the birth reveals something unique about the nature of the one to be born. Gabriel says it, doesn't he? He says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He is holy. He is different. He is distinct. He is set apart. He is not the same as everyone else. He is the Son of God. He has divine origin. That is absolutely massive news for Mary. It's absolutely massive news for all of us. And it's just worth pausing for a moment. It's just worth pondering for a moment. If you've got a cup of tea and add, I'd encourage you to, to pop your, your cup of tea down for a moment and just think on that for a few moments. Gabriel is saying that the son to be born will have divine origin. And just to kind of shed a little bit of light on, on, on what that means and what that looks like, we can actually turn to um, another account of the life of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote another account of the life of Jesus. And, and in his account, we get a bit more of a picture of what this means, what this looks like, his divine origin. And this is what John says to us, the Apostle John. He says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then slightly further along, he says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see what Luke and John are doing together is they are painting a picture for us. They are painting a picture for us of the eternal son of God. And together, Luke and John are helping us to understand that the you know, the eternal Son of God is stepping into his creation. They are painting a picture for us and telling us that the eternal Son of God is, is almost writing himself into his own story. 
They are painting a picture for us and telling us that the eternal Son of God is adding a human nature to himself and yet remaining fully God. Friends, this is significant stuff. This is life-changing stuff. We have a tendency, don't we, um, often to... um, the, the phrase is often used at this time of year. Um, we talk about Jesus, meek and mild. And yes, that is an aspect of his character. That is an aspect of who he is. But friends, we must also equally understand that this Jesus that is so relatable to us, this, this, this Jesus who is uh, fully now fully and completely uh, human like one of us, this Jesus at the same time is fully God. And what Gabriel is saying when he talks to Mary is that literally God is coming to you. God is going to step into his creation. God is going to wrap himself in humanity and he is going to walk and he is going to talk and he is going to interact with you. God himself. Friends, Jesus is God. So we've thought a little bit about the the who, We've thought a little bit about the how, but let's now consider the the why. And that's an absolutely vital question to ask. Why? Why why is this son to be born? Why is he coming? Why on earth would Jesus leave behind all the, the perfection and the wonder and the beauty and the loveliness of heaven and become like one of us? Why would he leave the the, the perfect, joyous, beautiful uh, relationship and interaction with uh, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit? Why would he leave the endless uh, praises of of angels and, and, and become like one of us? Why? Why did he come? And to answer that question, I'm actually going to ask another question. And that question is, is there any hope for this world? And the reason why I ask that question is because this is, this is a question I believe in 2020 in particular has been, has been whirring around the minds of many people. And it's a question that many people have articulated is, is there any hope? When we look out, we see the brokenness of the world. We see the, the uh, oppression. We see the marginalization. We see um, just, just the messed upness of the world. The question is asked, is there any hope? And if there is any hope, where can I find it? Well, friends, I I want to answer that question for us today. I want to answer it in the affirmative and say absolutely, unequivocally, yes, there is hope. And that hope is to be found in Jesus. And for us to locate that hope we actually need to diagnose the problem. What is the problem? And I, I want to kind of underline the word the, the problem. You see, there are many problems in the world, aren't there? If I were to ask any of you um, right now to, to, to write down some of the problems that we face in the world at the moment, I, I'm sure you could keep on writing for a very, very long time. But I want, I want to distinguish between problems and the problem. And I'd like to say that the problem 
is not poverty. Poverty, though a, a serious and significant problem in the world at the moment and throughout history, is not the problem. I want to put it to you that a particular political system or a particular political leader is not the problem at the moment. I want to put it to you that, you know, education, again, is as important as it is, and I absolutely believe that. I want to say that lack of educational opportunities is not the problem. And I'd like to say that the Bible points a picture that the problem is this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What exactly is meant by that? Sin is a very churchy word, isn't it? It's, a, it's the kind of word that isn't really used anywhere else other than in churches. So what is meant by that? I, um, when I was growing up, there was a very, um, well, fairly famous to me anyway, uh, famous clothing brand around called FUBU, F-U-B-U, for us, by us. And for some reason this week, as I was thinking about sin, it, 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 it just made me think for a few moments that, that actually, do you know what? We, all of us, are made for God and by God. We're made for God and by God. The essence of sin is when we flip that around and we make everything for me, by me. All about what makes me happy. All about what brings me honour. All about what makes me comfortable. Me first, everyone else second. That, friends, is the essence of sin. And I would say sin is the problem for two particular reasons. Firstly, our sin, our turning away from God, our kind of going our own way, our sort of charting our own path, means that we we have separated ourselves from God. Apart from God, we are dead spiritually. You know, when you unplug a phone or a laptop, it might have, have some life in it for a while, won't it? It will function for a little while. But there will come a point where that functionality stops. There will come a point where that, that phone or that laptop can't do what you hope for it to do. It can't do what it was made to do because it, it's not connected to its source. It's not connected to its, its source of life. That thing is, was never designed to, um, to function entirely independently. And in much the same way, we are made to be in relationship with God. We are made as those who have God as our source. When we pull away from God, we're dead spiritually. So sin is the problem because apart from God, we die. Sin is the problem because our wrongdoing is so bad that it would take an eternity for us to serve the sentence that hangs over us. So heinous is our turning away from a a perfectly good and holy and loving and kind God that in order for us to deal with what we have done, to to almost right the wrongs, it would take us an eternity to do that. In fact, an eternity of torment. Friends, I'd like to say today that the problem, whoever you are, wherever you are, However old you are, whatever your circumstances, the problem for all of us, for all of humanity, is our sin. And it is in the light of this huge problem for humanity that Gabriel's words to Mary are so important. So, so important. 
You might, like me, you may have been in a, a situation in your life, maybe a few situations in your life, where um, you've got two people who are having, let's call it a, a, a robust conversation with one another. And sometimes that robust conversation gets a little bit more heated. And sometimes that heated, robust conversation actually turns into a, a trading of, of blows, of fists. And sometimes in that situation, what is required is someone to step into the middle, someone to get into the middle and essentially mediate. A mediator is required. A mediator is someone who represents both sides. A mediator is ultimately someone whose job is to bring both sides together. Friends, in order for our sin to be dealt with, in order for humanity to be restored to relationship with God, we need a mediator. We need one who represents both sides. And in the words of Gabriel, there is the promise that that mediator is coming, one who is fully God and fully man, one who is able to deal with our biggest problem, and his name is Jesus. Jesus came as a mediator, fully God and fully man. He stands in the middle. He stands between us. And as man, he stands on our behalf and takes on himself the punishment that should rightly fall on us. He takes on himself the shame that should be rightly be on us. And on the cross, all of the, the, the anger, uh, the, the, the wrath, the displeasure of God that should fall on us, because of what we have done, falls on Jesus. He takes our place. But as God, he also, st- as God, he also stands on behalf of the Father and the Holy Spirit, so that all of the life, the love, the richness, the blessing of God flows through him and to us. Jesus is the mediator. Friends, I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to be encouraged that God is 100% committed to humanity. Jesus took on flesh, he took on humanity, he lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He willingly died a sacrificial death. He rose again, he ascended to heaven. What is he doing now? Do you know what he's doing now? The Bible tells us that he has stood at the right hand of God the Father. What's he doing stood at the right hand of God the Father? He is praying to God the Father on our behalf. 24-7, 365 days a year, that is what he is doing now. Fully God, fully man, praying to God the Father on our behalf. The Bible tells us that he is not ashamed to call us siblings. So when he is praying to God the Father, it's not in a kind of remote, distant sense. He's praying for his brothers and his sisters. He is utterly committed to humanity. Friends, this morning we've thought a little bit about the who. Who who is this one to be born? And we've discovered that it is the son of David, the perfect king, the son of the Most High, the one of divine origin. How? How has he come? He's come miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why has he come? He has come to mediate. He has come to bring us back, back into perfect relationship with God the Father, to deal with our sin forever. How do we respond? How do we respond to this, this Jesus who has come so far to us, to, to come 
such a distance to meet us? Well, I believe that we would do well to actually imitate or to, to, to mimic the response of Mary. What does Mary say after Gabriel makes his announcement? Mary says this in verse 38. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. God has made all of the initiative. God has stepped in. God has approached each and every one of us. The right response is for us to receive what he has for us, to receive it with humility and with joy. And actually, Mary, she expresses her joy in a, in a prayer. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, as part of my response, I'm going to read that prayer as a, as a prayer of, uh, of thanksgiving and a prayer of praise, as my kind of response to, to receive Jesus with humility and with joy. In fact, after, after the angel leaves, Mary uh, goes and visits Elizabeth, who is her cousin, and together they share stories uh, of, of their interaction with Gabriel and this excitement about the future, excitement about these children to be born. And then after that, we get this prayer from Mary. And I'm going to make this my prayer today. You may wish to make it your prayer also. This is what Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. <laughs>